Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. King of kings, Lord of lords, we worship you. Tonight, we've come to worship you in spirit and in truth. And so as we dig into truth for just a moment, I pray that it would produce in us a worship like we've never experienced before. Like when we get to heaven in Revelation chapter 4 and 5 and sing a new song an unprecedented song, a song as if it's never been sung before because we're looking at you face to face. Oh, Jesus, come. Come, Jesus, come. Maranatha, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good evening. Before you have your seat, would you mind just saying hello to someone and then have your seat? Uh, We won't take as long as we usually do. Tonight, just a little bit different in our routine. Usually at Calvary Chapel, you've got four songs, and then you worship. Well, the Spirit has disrupted us tonight. We're doing two songs. And if you leave the church because of it, hold on. If you have your Bible, would you turn with me to Zechariah chapter 14, as well as 2 Peter chapter 3, Zechariah chapter 14. We get to finish Zechariah tonight, and we get to finish it in an act of worship. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 16, and it shall come to pass. I have good news. Zechariah is about to pass, and we are going to move on to giving glory to God in a four-week series. But when he says it's going to come to pass, what he's saying is, We've come to the conclusion, we've had eight visions, two very spiritual questions, and we've gone through the historical events of the first and the second coming of Christ. The seven-year tribulation has come to a conclusion, and we're entering into the millennial kingdom right here in verse 16. And in the conclusion, we're going to begin to see the purpose, the entirety of the purpose of this entire letter. Holiness. Holiness. Christ is going to rule and reign. It's why he inspired the eight visions to build the temple. Because we would be the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's why he answers the spiritual questions in order that we might live a holy life. It's why he gave the historical events that surrounded the first and second coming of Christ to prove that God is in control and to prove that there can only be one ruler over man. And his name is Jesus Christ because he'll reign in true righteousness 
and true holiness. The Bible goes on to say, It come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacle. Everyone, I emphasize one, who is left of the nations. You see, there are national and there are personal consequences in regard to the book of Zechariah. Individuals are not responsible for the national decisions because there will be people in those nations that don't agree with the attack against Jerusalem because they're believers in Jesus Christ. I'll never forget when I went to Iran, you begin to think that all Iranians hate the U.S. government, hate United States citizens. But it's the government that does, not the people. And there in Tehran, I was on the top of a tower, and a woman came up to me and she goes, You're an American? You came to us? And she just grabbed me and hugged me and began to cry. And as broken English as she could, she said, We love you. Our government hates you, but we love you. <laughs> and here, God is making it very clear that every one of us has been given a choice as to whether we will follow Jesus or not, or we will go the way of the nations, the way of the world. That's your choice. But if you do choose, you choose to worship. You choose to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. You see, choosing Jesus Christ is choosing not just a night of worship, but a lifestyle of worship. And that lifestyle of worship is described in the very next word. They kept the feast. We will keep the Feast of Tabernacles. You see, Jesus made it very clear. If you're in relationship, real relationship with Him, if you love me, keep my commandments. Our obedience, our obedience, our lifestyle of worship proves our relationship. You see, they were to yearly go to the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, this was a memorial. There won't be a sacrifice, a sacrificial lamb, because Jesus is the lamb. It'd be much like Passover. There was one Passover, but for thousands of years, they've celebrated the one event. And that's what we will do for a thousand years. We'll celebrate as a memorial that Jesus is tabernacling, dwelling with us as our ruler and our king you make that choice of Jesus, there's another choice. You get to choose if you will worship. You get to choose if you will keep his commandments. Take a look at verse 17. The Bible goes on to say in Zechariah, and it shall be that whichever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, on them there will be no rain. They won't receive a blessing. If the family of Egypt will not come up and enter in, they shall have no rain. They shall receive the plague with which the Lord strikes the nations who do not come up to the keep the Feast of Tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all nations that do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. See, these three verses describe even in the millennial kingdom, there's a law of the land. That's not burdensome because the commandments of the Lord are not burdensome. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, you'll see it on the screen, for this is the love of God, 
that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. If you look at them as burdensome, that's your problem with your relationship with God. All He's asking is that the people of the world during the thousand-year reign come once a year and have like a Christmas celebration and worship Jesus Christ. That's all He's asking. There's no burden attached to that. I'm explaining it like this. People who, going, people who see going to church on a weekly ba- basis as a burden, something's wrong with their relationship. Because we've been asked not to neglect gathering ourselves together. If we see coming to church and being obedient as a burden, oh, i got to get up early on my Sunday, it's my only day off, something's wrong. Let me give you an example. You know how Sunday morning comes, and I don't know how it was with your kids, but you know how they struggle in their faith sometimes on Sunday morning. And we would all be excited to get to church and to worship the Lord, but getting our kids up was a nightmare. Because they were growing in their relationship with God. They didn't value and they looked at going to church as a burden. And so many parents will come to me and ask me to fix their 17-year-old child because at the age of 14, when they were wrestling with them to go to church, they made the decision to let them make their own decision. That's not parenting, that's friendship. We would wake our kids up You don't have a choice because we know what's best. God is best for you. And now they all love church as much as we do. You see, the commandments of the Lord aren't burdensome. And those who don't want to come, they're not going to be blessed. They're not going to receive rain. In fact, the Bible says if you don't want to come and worship that one time a year, you're going to receive a plague. Now this word, it means divine judgment. Because how we follow the Lord is very important to the Lord. And His commandments aren't burdensome. Our character and conduct should reflect our convictions. Not just in the sanctuary, but our worshipful lifestyle out in the world. See, otherwise He disciplines us. In Hebrews chapter 12, the Bible makes it clear that He disciplines the son that He loves. His discipline is not out to get you like some cosmic kills joy to just punish you and put you in your room. No, all discipline has a reason. Discipline is to drive us to change so that we move from going our way and we turn and we go God's way, which is the best way. So when you feel yourself under God's discipline, change. Change quickly. Because your worship is not the songs you sing, but it's the way that you live your life. I want to tell you something. The millennial kingdom, there's a culture of that kingdom. Would you take a look at verse 20? In that day, holiness to the Lord shall be engraved on the bells of the horses. The pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Yes, every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holiness to the Lord of hosts. Everyone who sacrifices shall come and take them and cook in them. And in that day there shall be no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord's hosts. I know if I go to a party and there is pancette, it's a Filipino party. 
And I know that if I go and there's conch fritters, it's a Bahamian party. And I know, and I can go down the list because every culture has their food. Every culture has their food because every culture has a conduct about it. And the conduct of the millennial reign will be holiness. Holiness will define it. The bells of the horses will have holiness to the Lord. Now let me put that in modern day English. You know how you're driving down the road and a bus comes by and you see on the side of the bus an advertisement that represents our culture? I'll never forget going to Las Vegas. I was in Las Vegas. A bus went by and I went like this. How do they raise children here? Because the bus was describing by advertising its culture in Las Vegas. Horses will be the bus in the millennial kingdom. And on the bells of the bus will be holiness is the Lord. Even the very public life will advertise holiness is the Lord. The pots that are used in the temple will be just like the pots that are used outside of the temple because the secular and the sacred are going to be destroyed because there will be no more secular. It will only be sacred. The Bible says that every home, every home, the pot will be holiness to the Lord because private life will now be holy life. He says there will be no more Canaanites. Now let me express what that means. This represents the pagan practices of the world. There will be no more unholy closets that we can hide in. No more unclean practices. Every individual will live the culture. Holiness to the Lord. So before we begin to worship in song, I got a couple questions. Do we make a practice of holiness in our life today? Just like the millennial reign, which we will live in, are we putting it into practice today where our public life, our private life, and our religious life are all holy? Are there areas that we're struggling with in the practice of holiness? Do we have Canaanite closets? Or better yet, California closets? tonight. I believe for all of us, tonight is an opportunity for a spiritual upgrade by the power of the Holy Spirit, where we take our holy factor and we begin to evaluate where do we stand before the Lord, and we take it from a three to a seven. We take it from a one to a ten, and we worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. So as we begin to worship, let the Holy Spirit search you. If he begins to convict you, would you just confess that to the Lord and ask him to put into practice the position of which we stand, holy, holy, holy to the Lord God Almighty. Would you stand with us in worship? For there in that throne room, when Isaiah heard the angels praise you, holy, 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 holy to the Father, holy to the Son, holy to the Holy Spirit. It's the song of the redeemed, 
Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. So Lord, we say you alone are holy. In Jesus' name. Would you have your seat for just a moment and take out your Bible? Three different areas of Scripture. 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. Romans chapter 12. And 2 Timothy chapter 2. Once again, 2 Peter chapter 3. Romans chapter 12. And 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11. Peter asks a very important question now that we've come to the end of the book of Zechariah. And we see the first and the second coming of Christ. The historical events that have happened with his first coming and the historical events that will happen for his second coming. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11, Peter asks a question, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, and now we know from Zechariah they will be, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? What Peter is reiterating is what he's already communicated in his first letter. Oh, just turn back a few pages to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. Just a few pages to the left, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. But as he who called you is holy, you also, also be holy in all your conduct, because it's written, say it with me, be holy, for I am holy. You see, this command of holiness goes all the way back to the children of Israel. This quote in 1 Peter chapter 1 comes from Leviticus. And I know Leviticus is everybody's favorite book to read for devotions. It's like the book of Numbers. God help us. Be holy, for I'm holy. God had separated out a people to be separate from other peoples. And he said, be holy. Leviticus chapter 20, you'll see it on the screen, verse 26. And you shall be holy to me. For I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. And in the same way, Peter beckons to each one of us the same principle and command that we're called to be holy. We're called to be separate. We're called to be set apart, separated from the way of the world. That might define holiness simply being different, but yet it's so much more. Well, what is holiness? You see, God declares himself as the standard of holiness. He said, be holy for I am holy. He defines it himself. Thus all he says, thus all he does. Every bit of his character and all of his conduct defines holiness. In fact, Holiness lies at the heart of all biblical teaching. Learning about the Bible is learning about holiness. 
we learn that love, His love and His way of love is holy. We learn that His grace and His way of grace is holy. We learn that His justice and His way of giving justice is holy just because He's the one doing it. We learn that His truth, we learn that His way, we learn that His life is holy. In fact, in Revelation chapter 15, verse 4, listen carefully. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. It is God. He alone is holy. And I need to break something to humanity. God gets to determine what is holy, not us. He sets the standard, not the way that we feel about it. He is holy. And in the Old Testament, God, he made a candlestick in the temple holy, not the candlestick at your house, simply because he said it was holy. Because God determines what's holy, and God determines what's unholy. And if we've been called to holiness, then we've been called to the character and the conduct of life, to be conformed into his character and his conduct. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. After Paul takes 11 chapters to communicate the great grace of God, using that 11 chapters, he concludes and he says in chapter 12 of Romans, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, not to yourself, to God, because he determines holiness, which is your reasonable service. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what that is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. God determines holiness. And while it's true that Romans tells us in chapter 6 that we've been made holy because of the blood of Jesus Christ, this exhortation is putting holiness as a practice into our position. You see, since we've been made holy, Paul is now telling us, practice your position. When I was swimming in high school and college, I was made the fourth leg of the relay. That was my position. It was given to me. If we were behind, I was to catch up. If we were ahead, I was to keep the lead. It was my position. So when I was given that position, I put the position into practice. I started practicing my starts I started practicing my legs and my arms and my flip turns because if I was going to keep the lead in my position, I had to put my position into practice. See, practice proves that you believe in your position as the perfect will of God for your life, and God calls each one of us to be holy. It's the most acceptable life. It's the most perfect life. It is good. It's pleasing and perfect. You don't have to live like this if you choose to live holy. You don't have to wonder if the police coming down the 110 is for you. 
if you are obedient. How many of you, every time you see the sirens, your heart sinks into your seat? Anyone? Anyone? So all of you are holy. I'm, thank you. I'm the only one in the auditorium. Whenever I see the sirens, all of a sudden my heart sinks into the seat. And you know why? Because I'm not being holy. I'm breaking the law. When it says 55, I assume it means 80. And yet how many live our Christian lives like that? I want to give you three practices of holiness, and I would love for you to write them down. Number one, choose to change. If you're not holy, become holy. He says, do not be conformed, but be transformed. That's a choice. It's a choice to change. I'll read it for you. You don't need to turn there. You can write it in your notes. It's 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You'll know the scripture as soon as I read it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Now, verse 7. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but he called us in unholiness. And what Paul is exhorting the church to do is make a choice. If you're involved with sexual immorality... Abstain from it. Choose to change. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. You see, the will of God is your sanctification. That word is hagios. The will of God is your holiness. And he gives an example of one to the church in Thessalonica. So if there's things in your life that need to change, change them. Paul tells us how. On the screen, you'll see 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. What he's saying is, choose to change. If you're not holy, you can become holy. And I got good news. You're not on your own. In Romans chapter 15, verse 16, the Bible says it's the Holy Spirit That sanctifies us. Not only has God asked you to change. He's given you the power to change. He will convict you of those unholy Canaanite closets. Those things that you don't think anyone knows about. But you never, God promises never to leave you or forsake you. He's in the closet. He says choose to change. But not only does he meet you in that closet, that Canaanite closet, and convict you to change, he actually gives you the hammer and the nail to walk out of that closet and hammer it and nail it shut, never to walk back in it again. Choose to change. Number two, I pray you would write it down. Purpose to pursue holiness. He says, be transformed. Now, the Greek of this is, Be being transformed. You'll see it on the screen. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, the Bible says this, Pursue peace with all people. 
and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Did you read that? That's a power statement. If we're not in the pursuit of holiness, what the Bible says is we don't see the Lord. We're not in relationship with the Lord if we don't have a pursuit of holiness. Now, I want you to note, it doesn't say you are holy all the time. That's not what it says. It says your relationship with the Lord is best proved by your pursuit of holiness. I want to tell you what pursuit means. Pursuit means to pursue it in diligence in order to obtain the prize. In other words, we never give up. We never have a joy to have a weekend in Las Vegas and satisfy all the appetites and then come back to God on Monday. That's not holiness. We choose to fight the flesh instead of give in to it. How many of you have ever just needed a bowl of ice cream? Like your day was, I just want ice cream. And you go to that freezer and you buy Haagen-Dazs. I know we're all not Nancy Pelosi with the big old refrigerator and all the ice cream that she had. We have to go to Ralph's and Vaughn's to buy ours one by one. And I love looking at all of the delicacies in that freezer. Chocolate, chocolate chip. Rocky Road. Fudge brownie. And it doesn't matter if it's Haagen-Dazs, but it does matter that it's not Blue Bunny. I tell my wife all the time, if you ever skimp on anything, never skimp on ice cream. Pay the full price if you have to. If you don't have a coupon, feel the freedom in the spirit to buy it. Don't bring home Blue Bunny. You know what I'm talking about. But there's something about that ice cream that makes us feel better. Sorry to relate holiness to ice cream. But I think you understand what I'm trying to communicate. We need to be careful that our ice cream is the things of God and not the world. That He is who we are pursuing to give us a spiritual faith and overcome the feel. I remember I was in a race, and it was a finals event, and it was a national event in Orlando, Florida. I got on the block, and I was all excited. The referee, the starter said, Swimmer, take your mark, and I went down like this. And then I heard the gun, and I was gone. When I landed in the water, my goggles fell from my eyes right here to my mouth. And I knew for that race, I was not going to be able to breathe. With my tongue, I am trying to move my goggles so I can take a breath. I came up and I took a breath and I realized it wasn't going to work and I had to finish this race without breathing. When I looked under the water... I could see the swimmer in front of me, ahead of me. Everything within my flesh said, give up and quit. 
But I had practiced my position. I had trained my body. And my legs went into turbo and my arms went into power boost. It was like I was a video game and I had just swallowed a strawberry and I was like, ching, ching, ching. And I took off and I got ahead of that swimmer and I hit the wall so hard I broke my finger. And I won. You know why? I wanted to wear the medal. Do we want holiness that bad? That no matter what happens in my life, let me tell you something. The Bible says, though a righteous man falls seven times, he gets back up again. And let me tell you why he's got to get back up. Because he fell down. And so our hope is that we purpose to pursue, and even if the goggles are drowning us, we do whatever it takes to put into practice our position. We are holy. Finally, number three, I'll write, I wish that you would write it down. It's time to get to work. It's time to get to work. Second Timothy chapter 2, I ask you to turn there. Second Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to read for you verse 19, 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'll pick it up in verse 19. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows who are is. Of course, he's omnipotent. He's omniscient. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. It's one of the definitions of holiness, that we're choosing to leave iniquity behind. Verse 20. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Speaking of the spiritual house of God, the Holy Spirit in us. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he'll be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Church, do you know you're an ambassador of God? That everywhere you go, you represent the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something about an ambassador. Ambassadors represent the president, not themselves. Agree or disagree, Republican or Democrat, your responsibility is to represent the president in the country that is not your own. You're simply serving For the president, as we here on earth are ambassadors serving God. Holiness reflects the character of God. And as ambassadors, holiness prepares us to represent him best. So our passion should be to be useful for the master. So we need to get to work to be holy. My dogs have one job to play with me, to love me. I brought my big dog, Baloo, to the VBS, and my dog is famous for jumping up and giving me a hug. Every time I come home, if I don't give him a hug, and he he can look at me straight in the face, if I don't give him a hug, he whines and cries because he's not doing his job. And now we got this other little dog. His name is Mowgli, Baloo and Mowgli. He's a devil. My mother from the Bahamas, she always looks at him and goes, you do nothing but bad doggy things. 
with a little Bahamian accent, tings. And every time Baloo goes to give me a hug, which is his job, Baloo does everything he can, I mean, Mowgli does everything he can to stop him from giving me a hug. But Baloo don't care because he knows his job. And whatever it takes to give me a hug, he's going to serve his master. When the little Mowgli's come in your life and try to stop you from giving your father a hug, which is our job? To hug our father and whisper to him songs of love. If there's anything unholy that's stopping that moment, get to work. Get rid of it. Because we're about to worship. And I want you to worship with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And whatever it takes to get up out of that seat, give your father a hug and worship right now. Don't let anything prevent you. Not your bad day. Not your marital issue. Not your uncle so-and-so. Let's worship the Lord. As we close out this night, worship Him in spirit. Worship Him in truth. Three things. Number one, choose to change. Choose to change tonight. You don't have to carry your unholiness out the door. He says that if you will just confess your sin, He'll be faithful and just to forgive you. And then, purpose to pursue holiness. So when the Mowgli starts nipping at your heels, you run to Jesus, not to the ice cream of the world. Tonight when you leave here, because you have hugged your Father, get to work. Whatever it takes to be holy, make that choice. Amen? Would you stand with me, church? Let's worship Jesus. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.